Back here on Darren, Donick, and Chase, live at Pete and Terry's Tavern, Bridgestone Arena. Tonight it's the Predators and the Capitals. By the way, it was after the sixth inning, his ERA in postseason play, Clayton Kershaw, is a 12. Mm. After the sixth inning, yikes, as it played out again last night. Let's, uh, as you heard the music, let's head out to Denver. <laughs> Well done, Max. Well done, Max. <laughs> Brandon Cristal, we always enjoy our conversations with him. KOA, Broncos Insiders. Carolina? I'm sure you've never heard that song before. Brandon, well, how you no, doing? I mean, I get it's uh, Rocky Mountain High, right? John Denver, yeah. but that wasn't going to Carolina? Mm. I'm not sure, That's Max. Wrong. Maybe not. Did Max mix it up? Maybe I'm just not listening that closely. That's more <laughs> I'm sure Max got it right. It's a little <laughs> earlier where you are. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it's snowing so, here because it's October 10th, so why wouldn't it be snowing? Oh, it's snowing in Denver. Not that big of a surprise, only because normally we'll get kind of one snowfall, typically closer to Halloween. But last year, this exact same week, because we were on vacation in Mexico, and then I came back for the Rams game, and I had to get my sprinklers blown out a little early because <laughs> the snow came. It was the coldest game of the year was October 12th against the Rams. It was the coldest game they played in Denver. Not November, not December. October 12th was the coldest game. It, it probably won't be the coldest game this week, but it's not going to be super warm. I think it's going to be in the 60s. Wow. Okay, so it's going to warm up for Sunday. Yeah, and I think tomorrow, high 40s, maybe even get close to 50, and then back into the mid to high 60s by the weekend. So should be nice. Well, we Last have... Uh... was here, it was freezing. So. Yeah. Uh, well, it is actually our temperatures have dipped all the way down into the low 80s. So we're actually <laughs> experiencing a cool spell here, Brandon, as well. Yeah, that sounds tough. <laughs> so what was the reaction after Denver logging their first win of the season, a good win over the Chargers this past weekend? Well, I think it depends on who you ask. I think for the organization as a whole, they breathe a little sigh of relief. I think for fans, kind of the same thing. And for the team, they're tempered. Right, They didn't go nuts. They didn't start popping champagne bottles. Uh, they understand that they're still in a big hole, and Emmanuel Sanders, their wide receiver, said that this week. He said, we dug ourselves a pretty deep hole. We're not out of that hole. We're you know, headed in the right direction, but we're still definitely in the hole. And so they, they know they've got a lot of work to do, and obviously a win on Sunday would help, and then maybe they'll get a little uh, bit of uh, help from the – Either the Texans beating the Chiefs up a little bit, or even if the Chiefs come away with that win, uh, we know the Chiefs are banged up because they got the Chiefs coming in next Thursday. So they're trying to go from 0-4 to 3-4 and real quickly and feel a lot better about themselves. But as both Anthony Lynn and Philip Rivers said Sunday after they won in L.A., this is not a normal 0-4 team. I'm not saying they're Super Bowl contenders by any means, but they had a couple heartbreaking losses and have been basically in every game they've played. You know, it's, it's hard to win out in the Mile High City. Uh, Broncos have traditionally been very good at home are you surprised that their two home games this year have resulted in losses yes based on history but the home field advantage that used to be here at mile high isn't what it what it once was i'm not saying that it doesn't exist but it just uh, for whatever reason they haven't been as dominant as home as, as at home as they had been you know historically and in the john elway era and in the mike shanahan uh tenure uh and even with john fox they didn't and uh, obviously he had Peyton manning a lot of those years uh, they just didn't lose very much at home. And to lose your two home games this year now is obviously dramatic fashion. They had the lead uh, with 31 seconds to go against the Bears and with a minute and change to go against Jacksonville. So it wasn't like they were getting their doors blown out at home. But they certainly, uh, in order to obviously get to the playoffs, right, you want to go 6-2 and two, uh, 
home, if not better, and they've already dropped those two games. And, and I know playoffs is a long conversation away. Only one team ever has made it at 0-4, so they're not, they're not eyeing that just yet. But there won't be the Titans fans. You know, Titans fans, Jags fans don't permeate Denver the way maybe the Bears fans did, although their colors are the same, so you couldn't really tell if you looked in the stands, you know, who was who. But, like, when the Packers come to town or the Steelers, their fans manage to buy tickets. I don't think Titans fans necessarily travel that well or have that same fan base. So it, it should be a home field advantage, but it just isn't what it once was. Brandon, the last time the Bears were in town, they drank the city dry. That's, that's not a joke either. They ran out of beer <laughs> oh, well, in, in downtown you know. Nashville. Oh, well, they didn't run out of beer here, but we're kind of, uh, you know, pride ourselves in all the craft beers, so it would be almost yes. impossible to do that. Um, I'm not saying there aren't good craft beers in Nashville, but – you know, we just had the Great American Beer Festival last weekend, which is the biggest beer festival in the world. And maybe one year it'll work out where the Titans will play here that same weekend and you guys can come out and check it out because it really is worth the price of admission of 7,800 different beers on tap and I think uh, a couple, I can't remember the number, is twelve or 1,400 breweries here. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, a lot of people listening just said yes. Yes. Uh, they, they will sign up for that. Yeah. Uh, how How much... Has the loss of Bradley Chubb affected the defense? Well, it's a little early to tell because uh, they won their first game against Phillip Rivers and the Chargers, but talk to me in a couple weeks. Bradley Chubb is certainly their best young talent on the defensive side of the ball, there's no question. And if you want to argue between he and Phillip Lindsay, I guess, on the offense, or Cortland Sutton on the offensive side of the ball, but Bradley Chubb is living up to the hype. Uh, I realize he didn't have any sacks through his first four games, just like Vaughn Miller didn't. But he was really active in the run game, and, and he was getting after the quarterback as much as this team could, considering they weren't getting any sacks. Um, and so to lose him after just four games really hurts because he had the 12-plus sacks as a, as a rookie. You know, he's chasing Javon Curse's record for a little bit, or obviously all the way till the end in theory. Um, and you thought he'd just build on that. And it was funny because going into the year, you thought with Vic Fangio here, you could see the first 20-sack tandem where each guy had 20 sacks because uh, we've never seen that in the league. Well, it's certainly not happening this year now with Bradley out. So they've got an undrafted kid named Malik Reed, who's undersized as a, uh, at least as a run stopper at 6'3", or 6'2", 235. And if he's 6'2", then I'm six foot, uh, and I'm really 5'8". So he's 6'2", <laughs> generous. He must be wearing really long cleats. Uh, but he played well against and played most of the snaps against uh, Rivers and, and the Chargers. And they got this other rookie fifth rounder out of Oregon named Justin Holland. So it's kind of by committee. Uh, but honestly, the guy that we're talking about on defense is somebody that I know Vols fans know is A.J. Johnson, who wanted to go by Alexander after getting to the league for no real reason other than he told me one time that he thought it'd be cool when he made it to the NFL if he could go by Alexander because it sounded you know, more dignified or something. Uh, mm. But he had a hell of a game in his first start last week. Interesting. Uh, Noah Fant was drafted right here in Nashville, picked 20. In the first round, I know that he's been uh, dealing with a little dropsies and maybe some penalties. How, how overall, how has the rookie looked? Uh, the rookie tied in Noah Fan out of Iowa. I think he's looked like a rookie. And when you look at what Titans have done, and I'm not going to pretend that I did this research, but one of my guys here in town looked at first round tight ends since 1980, and since 1980, first round tight ends either 80 or 90, whatever it is, they averaged 33 catches, about 350 yards, and three touchdowns. And you look at Tony Gonzalez, who just went into the Hall of Fame. His rookie year, he had 35 catches or 34 catches, 360 yards, and three touchdowns. So I get that it's a different NFL, but 
there's fans that thought he'd be a five, six touchdown guy, and I guess he could get there. He got his first one a couple weeks ago against the Jags, but he looks like a rookie, and they leave him out on an island against Khalil Mack because the tackle doesn't slide over to help. And he looks like certainly a rookie, but I think even Rob Gronkowski would have his challenges with Khalil Mack, you know, in his heyday as one of the best blocking tight ends. Uh, but then you'll see bursts where he turns a little catch into a bigger gain, and you're like, oh, okay, there's, there's the difference between Fant and most other tight ends because most tight ends don't run four or five flat. And the more he can get comfortable in the offense, the more Flacco will trust him. Uh, they play him a lot, though. He plays a lot of snaps, you know, upwards of 80% of the snaps. He's getting the opportunity, but he does certainly look like a rookie, especially when he tries to help uh, as an inline blocker in the run game or even downfield. He'll get himself kind of in, you know, a bad spot where he's a little out of position because he just hasn't played enough football at this level uh, and wasn't asked to do all the stuff that the Broncos are asking him to do. So it's kind of trial by fire. But uh, this might be a really good week against him because the Titans have been pretty terrible against tight ends. So if you're looking for a streaming fantasy option, not the Titans fans want to see anybody have success against their team, uh, but he may end up with the biggest day of anybody this week. Brandon Cristal from KOA in Denver here with us talking Denver Broncos. Taking on the Titans this weekend now, uh, you know, you one in four to start the season. Joe Flacco at 34 years old is, has done a decent job at quarterback, but I have seen some rumors of that, you know, the Broncos could look to move some veteran talent as they get closer to the trade deadline. Is, you know, have you heard anything? Are they looking to, to maybe make some changes as they try and build this team more towards the future and not necessarily this year? I know they're not looking to move anyone now. And so any rumors that are out there are put out by either agents that have players that maybe are looking uh, down the road and or other teams that are calling. You know, John always going to take everyone's call, but John always also the most competitive guy you'll meet. So until they're at seven, eight, nine losses, which could happen sooner than later, the way they're obviously positioned right now at one and four. He's not, he's not making any of those calls. But then when you talk about the names that will yield the most return, Vaughn Miller's at the top of the list, and it seems crazy to trade your Super Bowl MVP. Uh, but a team could essentially get him on a one-year rental because there's an out after this fourth year of a six-year deal that's paying him upwards of $18, 19000000 million. Then you talk about guys like Chris Harris Jr., who's in the last year of his contract. He'd certainly be a rental, and you're probably talking about a mid-round pick for him. If you're lucky, if it's the right team, maybe it's a, a low second-rounder because they're a playoff team, obviously, or a third-rounder, a third and a fifth maybe. And then Emmanuel Sanders could also be dealt as could defensive lineman Derek Wolf. But I don't think they're actively making calls. That's my understanding that, that they certainly take every call that comes in. Uh, but John Elway is not ready to give up even at 1-4 because, like we started the conversation, uh, they think they could be 3-4 and four here in a couple days and feeling a lot better about themselves. What's been your evaluation of Philip Lindsay in year two? I know 327 yards, three touchdowns. We, we all know the story from last season for him. But do you, do you feel like it, it's translated into year two and that teams are still having trouble bringing him down? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, and it was brought up yesterday to both Philip and to Joe Flacco about his success between the tackles. He had just his 4,400-yard game the other day in terms of rushing, but he's obviously been over 100 in all-purpose yards a bunch. I think the most interesting thing to me is how Royce Freeman, the other rookie from a year ago, now in his second year, the third-rounder out of Oregon, who's the Ducks' all-time leading rusher, has contributed a bunch in the passing game because everyone looks at Philip at 5'8 and you know barely 200 pounds and thinks, oh, he's your perfect edge guy and swing pass, right, and go operate in the flat and make guys miss in a screen game. But Royce Freeman, I think, runs better routes and catches the ball a little bit better. So I'm not saying Philip can't get there, but that's maybe been the most surprising thing. Otherwise, it feels like he's picked up where he left off, right? 327 yards through five games puts him on pace for right around 1,000. Do I think he'll be a pro bowler again this year? i got to see how the other running backs look. But he and Freeman together 
you know, they're up over 575 yards combined on the ground, plus they're obviously contributing in, in the passing game. Uh, so I think it's, it's kind of right what you'd expect with Freeman being a bigger contributor because he got banged up in the middle of the year last year, and that really allowed Lindsey to thrive and, and make the Pro Bowl. Um, but he's their, probably their most explosive playmaker because of how much he touches the ball. You could make a case for Emmanuel Sanders, but the last couple of weeks Emmanuel's been muted, and when you're playing a position that's as dependent as receiver, uh, then when you have Joe Flacco, who as much as he likes uh, Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders, he's going to throw to the open guy. So if that's tight end Jeff Hyerman or fullback Andy Janovich, he's throwing to the open guy. It doesn't matter that Emmanuel's going to be disgruntled, and I think they will try to work him into the game plan early this week because they don't want three weeks of him uh, pouting, if you will, not that he's outwardly pouting, but you can tell when a front-line wide receiver isn't getting the ball that their mood isn't great. So uh, I know you asked me about Lindsey, and I threw in a bunch more stuff there, but, yeah, Lindsey's kind of picked up where, where we expected him to. How much of a difference have you seen in the offensive line now that Mike Munchak has taken over as the O-line coach? Well, if you had asked me in the first couple of weeks, I would have said not very much, and it wasn't Munchak's fault. It's the personnel that he's been given, but Garrett Bowles, despite all those holding calls early, has been a lot better and actually graded out as the fourth best uh, left tackle in pass blocking, I believe, last week or the week before, um, and hasn't had a hold in a couple of weeks, which I realize you shouldn't have to qualify that, right? You shouldn't have to say that. Uh, but they had 12 penalties last week, and none of them were holding calls on bowls. And then you got uh, other young guys that are just starting to figure it out. Dalton Reisner, who they took in the second round out of K-State, who's from just outside of Denver, is a, is a man at left guard. Connor McGovern's in a contract year, and he's starting at center for the first time all season, so he's figuring it out. And then they've got a backup right tackle because Juwan James, their high-priced free agent, played eight snaps and hasn't gotten back on the field. Now he's practicing a little, but I don't expect to see him against the Titans. Uh, and then Ron Leary is just kind of steady as he goes. Uh, he skips practice on Wednesday, sometimes on Thursday, and then on Sunday he goes out and plays well enough, although he has a bunch of holding penalties too. So you can tell that Munchak's fingerprints uh, are on this offensive line, and you realize just what a good teacher he is and it would make sense when you're that good of a player that it translates and so they just lucked out that his daughter and granddaughter live 10 minutes from the broncos facility and his contract was up so even though he was the runner-up for the head coaching job his wife basically said i want to go see our granddaughter until you get a head coaching job so whether he's here for a year two years or a little bit more uh it's been certainly uh a huge boost to have him coaching up garrett Bowles as best he can Brandon, the wife and I spent five days out on your city uh, for a little anniversary trip this summer and had a, a wonderful time. You've got a beautiful city. So I hope well, I some Titans that. fans do go out there and make a trip of it this weekend. Should be a good game. Two desperate teams that uh, need a win badly. So we'll see how it all plays out. Thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Chase. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. That see is you. Brandon Cristal, KOA. Broncos insider, sports reporter, and we do appreciate uh, him joining us. We'll come back talk a little bit more about this matchup on the other side. Darren, Donick, and Chase, ESPN, 1025 The Game.